cut it, cut it. Can we, can we get rid of that? Cut it. Not a fan. Not, is, is that like fucking diet Nickelback or something? Seriously, have we got something even more generic you can find to put people fucking sleep? Jesus. Look, let's cut the shit. 30-minute interviews released weekly. We're going to talk to some everyday Australian guys, ordinary blokes who have been through something extraordinary. It's going to be raw. It's going to be emotional. But hopefully you can go away with some tips and tricks, maybe some good habits that will get you through your own rough patch of life. We're trying to break a stigma here. Blokes don't talk, so we're starting a conversation. Yeah, mate, no worries. Let's let's fucking go again. Outro music. Show us your picture, Chad. All right, so I'm sitting here on this lovely Friday night with a Mr. Daniel Sanderman. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. This is a this is a bit of a privilege for me for a, a couple of reasons, apart from uh, getting to have a yarn to someone I respect a lot. I'm usually a bit of a hermit, so having having a, a beer and a yarn with a, a guy on a Friday night, particularly in light of you know coming out of lockdowns, uh, you know feels feels a bit naughty, feels a bit special. Quite, quite happy to have you over, mate. Absolutely, a pleasure to be here. All right, so take us, take us through the, the basics, mate. How, how old are you? Where, where were you born and grew up? Uh, 44, turning 45 very shortly. Uh, born in Mafra. Lived in Mafra till I was uh, 10 or 11. Dad got a job in sale, moved over there. Uh, and then um, yeah, grew up in sale till I was 18. And sort of bounced around and... Up back in Mafra, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm a Mafra boy through and through. Very good. So where was take us through schooling? Uh, Mafra Primary till yeah, it must have been about grade five. Araluan Primary School uh, till yeah, grade five, grade six, and then uh, Catholic College. Sale. I was a St Pat's boy. Right through what? Where'd you finish up school? Was yeah, year twelve. I finished yep. year twelve. So yep. yeah, yeah, very good. So. Um, what was your initial family structure? What, what sort of family did you come from? Uh, mum and dad and brother. So, yeah, just pretty stock standard. Mum and dad, uh, yeah, they were pretty awesome. We had a pretty good childhood, playing plenty of sport, and mum and dad supported us through that. And, yeah, and my younger brother, who's uh, two years younger than I am, BJ. So, um, alluded to sport there. What what was your go-to sports growing up? Were any other hobbies of note? Uh, basketball, just basketball um didn't play football until i was about 17 um but yeah we we pretty much lived up at the basketball stadium in sale mum and dad were on the committees running the canteen so played coached refereed yeah did everything it was yeah pretty cool times and repping the uh, little apples basketball <laughs> league as well so yeah yeah the two boys are over there playing and um I've been fortunate enough to coach their uh, all-star team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we played in a tournament at Sale recently and then um, before that they played against the uh, Flamingos in the um, a charity game that they played. So, yeah, no, it's good fun to go across with the boys. Ross and the fellas do a great job and, yeah, really enjoy just having that little bit of input with, with basketball uh, again and yeah, watching my two boys play. If you're if you're not local and, and you're a bit of a basketball fan, look up uh, Little Apples and see what they get up to. It's basically a extended group of, of guy friends that have played basketball together in some extent for 
for some time and and um, kind of broke out and did their own league and and they have incredible social media presence and 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 pay a lot of homage to their their supporters um, uh, and their sponsors and it's you know it's it's quite quite cool to see what they get up to um, so growing up once you're an adult what sort of hobbies and and sports have you stayed in other than the basketball um, football got involved with football so I played football um, I was probably 20 21 when I started really playing football um, went out and played out at Newry with a mate and um, yeah I loved it it was good so played out there for a few years bounced and went to Hayfield because of work and then uh, Played a little bit at Mafra and then went back out to Newry and played the last uh, three years out there. And then I got into coaching. And then, yeah, so I've bounced around a little bit coaching-wise. So that's probably my passion, I suppose. Yeah. It's um interesting. I was It was one of the didn't quite get to topics um, when I was speaking to, to Carl from Blokes Psychology, trying to get a bit of a insight onto me maybe and... and um, it's interesting how many, uh, you know, fairly hard on sleeve, open book guys like you and I are drawn to, to coaching. I mean, I always rattle off because I was a pretty mediocre fucking player. So <laughs> it's a n- nice chance to vicariously live through some jets. But um, I think there's definitely a, you know, a nurturing aspect of, you know, helping them avoid some of the mistakes I made or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's, uh, there's nothing better than watching um, young men and women. I've coached uh, women's sport well or women's basketball um there's nothing like watching them improve not just as athletes but as people as well and going through different experiences in life and yeah i really enjoy it and and to this day i still have contact with lots of uh people that i've coached and and played with over the years and and yeah it's nice to to get some feedback and and say hey uh, you know remember that time we played at the bendigo tournament and this happened and it's uh yeah it's really cool and and they're having children or you know you're coaching their children or um yeah going through those those sorts of things it's uh yeah it's it's pretty touching it's pretty warm when you think you could had some impact on their life um, it's cool it's uh interesting that you say about uh, coaching ladies sport I've I've got to coach kickboxing um to ladies and, and to girls but I haven't yet got to coach uh, football and I remember doing the uh, gender, gender equity sort of stuff as part of the AFL coach package. Um, and I remember a quote that I think was attributed to Nathan Burke and basically said um, that one of the key differences he noticed was when you're coaching uh, young men or, or when you're coaching open grade, uh, that the guys tend to need to play well to feel like they belong in the team, whereas if you make the ladies feel like they belong in the team, then they play well. And, and for a start, I thought that was pretty pretty profound statement because I, my limited experience coaching females have I've really enjoyed um you know the different psychology of it but um you've coached football at a, at a higher level than me but do you feel also you you tend to get more out of guys that feel like they belong in the in the group rather than that they purely need to perform to to feel a part of it yeah absolutely and I think I was talking to um uh, an old um, colleague I suppose um a little while ago and he sort of said to to me that one of he felt one of my strongest attributes as a coach was bringing a group together sometimes it wasn't necessarily the best team that won it was as in player for player on 
paper, but uh, I was able to bring a group together and we may not have been the most talented, but um, yeah, to be able to uh, get a group to bond uh, and, and chase that common goal. It's, uh, and, and that was a lovely thing to, to, uh, to think of too because, yeah, it's not necessarily the most talented sides that win. Um, you know, it always helps when you've got talent, but, yeah, if you can bring them together for a common bond and, you know, that, that's something that's pretty important. And, and I think about when I was playing sport and um, basketball and football and that, you remember the games, but it's also the, the good times, the training sessions, the, the extra work, the bus trips, the drinks afterwards, the you know, all the little stuff, you know, the 6am training sessions. They're the sorts of things that I remember out of it and that also helps to win as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely definitely agree. And, and my ethos that I've, I've kind of managed to replicate to some extent in, in my own coaching to good effect, I guess, is... Um, you know, creating that environment where uh, people are happy to fail, given their you know, given their effort and intent is is one hundred percent. Because you know, realistically, not all levels of football you're dealing with kids that have had their thousand touches a day since they were five years old. Um, and, and and you know, once you're a testosterone fueled teenage male, let alone an adult, it's it's real hard to be shit at stuff. So if you can create that culture where people are comfortable failing and and being bad at something, but then then allowing themselves to improve, I find that really rewarding to see as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not... Well, it is about winning when you get to a certain point, but it's also about improving. You know, there's nothing better. I, probably one story I could think of was when I was coaching um, under-10 girls team and we each team, you know, had girls are probably at basketball aren't as athletic and, and don't score as much as a whole like on the on the group. So... Once your best players scored their their ten points, then they have to share the basketball around. And I remember this little girl who couldn't hit the bottom of the net at the start of the season, but by the end of the season, she scored two points every game, and that was a highlight. That was fantastic to watch a smile on a on a little girl's face who couldn't couldn't put the ball up to the net. By the time she finished the season, she was been, she she could score and um, just not just get the ball and shoot it, but actually have some purpose and, you know, run down the court with a smile on her face looking at her mum and dad and high-fiving me as she goes by. It's, you know, those little special moments that make you glow. Love it, mate. Um, getting remotely back on track because I, I love <laughs> a bit of digression. Um, your current uh, relationship and family status, obviously, I'm aware of it for the, for the listeners. Uh, married to uh, Catherine. We've been together for nearly... 22 years of way this year. Um, I've got four children, so Jordan and Victoria. Um, Jordan was on the on your show a little while ago. Um, so twins to um, from a previous relationship, and then I've got Byron, who turns 21 this year, and Michaela, who's 19, with Catherine. So uh, you obviously gave away the goat a little bit there, in that um, I'm excited that you're the first father to be on of someone that I've. I've already interviewed, um, and I was I was saying before we kind of got to to air, but cut myself short because I wanted to wanted it to be on on record. I guess uh, you know, um, good relationships between sons and and fathers, and and good conversations like this, I guess, between fathers and uh, and, and sons is is a huge motivating factor for me in in this project. So um, you know, obviously, me and you touch base regularly enough anyway but but got a lovely message from you after 
after Jordan was on what would have been close to a month ago now, but only a week ago as we sit here. So take us take us through what that was like listening to. Um, yeah, it was pretty confronting actually. To so I, I actually hadn't seen it come pop up on my um, on my phone at the at the particular time. And Byron, my other son, came inside and he's listening to his phone and he goes, "Have you heard this yet?" And I said, "No, what's that?" He goes, "Oh, Jordan's on the on the podcast." So um, yeah, Byron listened to it. I've listened to it. My wife did. It was um, yeah, it was confronting just to listen to to him speak and. And I was very proud, like a very proud dad, to uh, to see him share his battles. Um, some battles I knew, some battles I didn't know as well as I thought I did. So that was um, that was a little bit, I wouldn't say difficult, but it was certainly confronting just to 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 hear that from from his son. And I sent him a message on straight away because I heard it while. I was at work and he was at work and so just to sort of say I'm proud of you man and uh, you know I love you and it's um, yeah sorry I probably wasn't there as much as I should have been our relationship was uh, yeah obviously his mum and I split up when um, when the twins were very little and uh, so I haven't always been there as in um, yeah not living together or um, having that face to face conf- um, contact, um, but we've always known we've, we've always known we've been there for each other. Um, but yeah, there's obviously times you don't. He obviously, and I don't either. Feel um, feel like you're burdening someone with with your issues, and and uh, obviously he was holding a few things in that I didn't didn't really know the full extent. Um, but I really enjoyed the fact that uh, he was able to talk about it, and that's again that's why I'm here. Um, yeah, and I think that's pretty important and very special that um, yeah that I'm able to do the same thing as him. It's it's um, interesting. You, a couple of things you said there kind of took me back to. I remember interviewing uh, Paul Nichols and he was saying about he held this regret um, about uh, the sentiment of the last message he sent his dad that his dad would have received about the time he was passing away. Um, but uh, uh, well. What I found interesting about that, and and what I I reassured him on for what it's worth coming from me was, you know, that's that's a a micro matter in a in a broader relationship, um, which was incredibly healthy. And and my takeaway, um, listening or having that conversation with with Jord, um, without I guess the the prejudice that might have developed into you listening to it as to whether you'd been everything you wanted to be as a dad was that just he had you know, so much um, respect f- for you and your lovely wife and, and um, you know, other, other than Bron, and I, th- and I think in terms of straightening out a young man's life next to bloody turning to religion, a, a girlfriend will tend to straighten you up the quickest. So I, I definitely wouldn't take coming second or, or you know, being on par even um, to heart there. But it was, uh, was overwhelming to me how much respect he had for you guys and how supported he felt through through that phase of growth, I guess. Yeah, and and that was that was certainly you know again you as a parent you're wondering how you're travelling and how you're going with your kids and um, yeah to hear that that also was um, yeah one of those pride moments I suppose where you um, where you feel like you yeah we we're going okay we we are going okay and uh, yeah and he's doing a great job. I think um, you know. 
if you're managing to convey that love and and empathy, it doesn't even necessarily matter if you're having big sit down D and M's consistently, as as long as they know they're know you're there for him at his worst sort of thing. I think um you know that's that's everything a son hopes for from a dad, and and that's what I felt from his conversation, I guess. So, um you know, obviously I'm I'm good mates with him, and I'm biased. I think <laughs> I, I think you're right to right to be proud of him, and and certainly um, shouldn't underestimate. Um, the, the rock you've been to him there. Uh, it's always been awesome. And, and we've told all our kids and hopefully doors always open. doesn't matter when, where, how. But, um, yeah, we're always there for them. And, and likewise, we know that they're there for us. So, yeah, there's a strong bond between all of us. And, yeah. How did his brother take it, out of curiosity? Yeah, he, he really enjoyed listening. I, I haven't had a massive conversation with Byron about it. Um but yeah, he he was a bit taken back by some of the stuff. Um, same scenario as I was. We knew he was battling with with a couple of little issues, um, but to the extent we we weren't quite there. But Byron and and Jordan, are, um, they have a really strong relationship and a pretty strong bond. Um, yeah, they're constantly messaging each other, playing two uh, K with each other, particularly during this isolation period. They've um, yeah, next thing you see, the phone goes boring, goes, I've got to go, Jordan's on playing 2K, I'm off. So, yeah, so they've, they've got a really good relationship, which is fantastic. And, yeah, that that's, an, you know, that pride as well. But yeah, no, uh, lovely to hear. And, and I'll, um, uh, Jordan said that he received positive feedback from, from you both. Um, but I'll definitely have to reach out to your younger fella and, and see what his thoughts were on it because you know we'll talk about those important important conversations between sons and fathers but it's obviously you know younger brothers and older brothers and the the positive males in our life will stop i guess yeah absolutely um well again a bit of a divergence there but i think that's as good a content and important to our listeners as, as anything like i said that's sort of the the conversations between the sort of relationships i, w- I want to hopefully inspire with with this platform but uh, that kind of sets up a little bit of the background as to um, where you've come from, mate. I think actually all we've missed is is kind of career path as an adult. So what do you get up to? Uh, at the moment, I work for Reese Plumbing as a delivery driver. And, uh, yeah, been there for six years. Really enjoy it. Um, fantastic job. Good crew to work for. Um, but probably going back after I finished high school, um, I... Spent a bit of time um, working in a uh, trading card store. Um, I worked in a bottle shop. I've worked in pubs. I've worked at clubs, uh, petrol stations, bottle shops, um, supermarket. Um, where else have I worked? Um, auto R and E autos. Um, uh, BJ Bearings. I worked there for a little while. So I've done a, a few things. Worked at the RSL before I started. At yeah, so yeah, I've uh, sort of dipped my toe into a few different career paths or different jobs, I suppose. I'm um, not sure I have a career, um, but I've always had a job. Well, six years is a pretty pretty fair start toward yeah. <laughs> to, towards a career, but you know, and, and also transferable skill set. Every, everything I think you've outlined there is is very uh, people focused, which is who you are. So yeah. totally understand that. Well, we'll take a break, mate, and then we'll get into the. Um, the more general stuff to you. Cool.
And now, a word from our sponsor. Nah, just fucking with you guys. We're never going to monetize this. This is your resource. And blokes, this round's on me. As we move into the next section of this conversation, we're going to be asking some pretty real questions. We're going to take things a level deeper. It'll be raw, but hopefully we'll come up with some tips and techniques that might help some fellas out there get through a bit. If what we discussed today raises some emotions for you, either from something you've got through in the past or something you're currently dealing with, discuss it with someone in your life you trust. If someone isn't immediately available or if you're quite anxious about the feelings that you uncover, call Lifeline Australia. They're available 24-7, they care and they're very professional. 13 11 14. Alternately, have the chat with your GP. Discuss going on a mental health plan if you're having a rough time. There's no shame in it. Get a little bit of counselling. Get yourself travelling in the right direction. If the voice in our head gets a little bit negative, it doesn't magically get better. We need to introduce a professional. Someone who has a bit of rationality. Someone who has a bit of positivity. Somebody who can help us not just survive, but thrive. We need you, fellas, and we want to see the best of you. Something I probably haven't disclosed that I was just talking during my um, disclaimer there with Dan that's, that's um, I guess, interesting content maybe for our listeners, maybe it's self-indulgent, I'm not sure, I haven't, I haven't thought it through, I'm just winging it here, but um, Dan asked about the feedback that's come through from, from this and, and I'd had some lovely feedback from him about um, some of the men in his life that I've, I've interviewed uh, even before it happened to be his son and, and um, some of the messages that have come through um, have been, yeah, I don't know, heartwarming for lack of a better word, but I was just saying to, to Dan... Um, I really hadn't emotionally prepared for that at all. For, for me, it was just a matter of, hey, I'm this broken dude that managed to rebuild a life after I'd completely fucking train wrecked and, and have had a bit of a taste of most ways a man can win and lose and let himself down and make himself proud and all, all that sort of stuff. So I'd really done this out of a, a bit of a sense of obligation almost um, to, I guess, try and win some karma back for for the things I did in my twenties, but but also um, because it, I felt like there was a void there, I felt like it was needed, um, and uh, I felt like I could, in my own clumsy way, facilitate it pretty well, um, or at least you know be willing enough to be exposed to to put myself out there and, and make myself available. So it's um it there's been a, a lot of positive feedback come come through for. For blokes don't talk and and um to those people firstly if if of it at all not seemed authentic in my response to that but it's it's really not something that i'd put time into emotionally processing you know how how challenging that would feel how special that would feel and and um and yeah it's 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 been a ride that's that's for sure what any thoughts around that mate what, what's that make you think of as, as someone that has enjoyed the content and 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 bothered to send me through some really lovely messages I just think that uh, the way you've put it across again, they're, they're ordinary blokes. It's it's 
people that we see down the street. Um, I've known some of the guys that you've spoke that you've spoken to and listened to that I've listened to, um, and other guys I haven't known at all. Um, but the way that you've brought their story out, um, and the way that guys have felt comfortable enough to to um, spill their guts, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. And and I think that's where I've sent the messages to you, just to say, hey, this is fantastic, and and then. Um, Keep up the good work because it's um, it's pretty special and I really enjoy it and hopefully plenty of people out there are, are jumping on board. Um, something that I, I I'm I'm sure you read it, but whether many people would or not, but in the spiel I put up with uh, the release of Jordan's episode, I just hypothesised in there that um, it kind of feels like um, you know it it's always easy for us old fellas to blame technology, but. But it, it does feel like because people are passively consuming parts of people's lives um, in terms of a bit of an ongoing update through social media as to what they're up to, that we kind of take that for granted that we know what people are going through and, and kind of have lost that, that ability to have deep conversations a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. a text message and um, uh, flick on Facebook or, or, you know, photo through Snapchat or something like that just doesn't... Uh, you feel like you've, you've touched base, but you sort of think about it, it's just pretty wishy-washy. Um, so, yeah, mate, I, I know that since I've listened to these, to, to your podcasts, it's made probably made me a little bit realize, uh, better and friend realise, pick up the phone and talk to someone and talk. And a mate um, up north who's was going through, you know, a relationship breakup and... And uh, some different issues, and you know, flicked a couple of messages, and didn't touch base, and sort of felt like a bit of a shit friend, really. Um, yeah, and then I, I rang him. You know, we're good mates. We've been mates for fifteen years. Ring him. Why are you scared? And I think listening to your stuff has has really made me. Uh, I, definitely in that that sense, made me ring up Virgo and say, "Hey, hey, traveling mate." Things going okay, and and we just chewed the fat for half an hour, but it was just awesome just to talk to him and and reach out. And I think it's something that I need to do more of, because um, yeah, I'm I'm not great on the phones. I don't mind I don't mind a text message, but um, it's important to talk, and I, and I need to do that more. And um, yeah, so thank you. No, and 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 me also. It's um I probably haven't. Uh, I've probably be as, as open as I am been a little bit cagey with some of the key drivers f- for me doing this because obviously I intend on um, doing my own episode at, at some stage when I can get my head around how to fit that into a, a reasonable <laughs> period of time. Um, but um, exactly what you just said there, you know, it's it's so important to when you have that inkling in you to reach out to, to someone close in your life and, and touch base um, you know, whatever you believe that has caused that uh, law of attraction or something, something more divine or just purely coincidence, um, uh, it's it's definitely as important as anything else that can be going on in your life. I mean, um, you know, Monday to Friday or, or whatever your work week is, we have obligations, but um, the more you can leave that at work and be, be true to your inner voices on the weekend. I've, I've had um, two, uh, two good mates, well, I've had three good mates um, kill themselves and I, and I lost my dad sort of unexpectedly. So, but two of the two of the three mates that killed themselves and and my dad, I'd had some version of that inkling to to get in touch and 
and and didn't. I, I, I drove past one mate, young player I played footy with and, and cricket with and um, he looked, something about him looked really distant driving the other way to me and I was on the way to work and felt like I should text him or something but I was driving so um, intended on doing it when I got to Perth and and forgot and, and he, he topped himself that night and then my my old man I had, we were very... Um, I wouldn't say hot or cold, but we were hot or nothing. We, we had a fantastic relationship intermittently. So yep. um, he had a he had quite a him and my mum separated, and, and and he had a fair chip on his shoulder about most things in life, but certainly about um, how much me and my sisters did or didn't want him in in our lives. So he he probably spent too much energy imagining that there was some sort of begrudgment there, and rather than keeping up his half of keeping in touch with us. And it was probably, I, I had a you know a period of what might have been two months or more where um, I'd run out of energy to be the one reaching out. I think I had a long weekend or something, some some sort of a stimulation where you have too much time to think and, and felt like I should call him. And I didn't, I got the call from my sister saying, you know, he'd had an aneurysm and and uh, basically that we were going to turn him off, which which didn't eventuate. Um, quite that cleanly, shall we? Shall we say it was was end up being a bit yuckier and messier and prolonged than that. But I, I never got to have that that conversation I'd intended on. Um, and 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 similar thing, a young guy locally. I won't go into too much detail. Probably talk about that more when it's when it's my turn. And also, it's probably still very raw for a lot of people. But young guy locally that I'd had um, the opportunity to coach, and then he stopped and moved away from football. And something about that didn't feel. You know that withdrawal I'm I'm super conscious of as someone that's that suffers from depression, so I di- it didn't sit well with me, and and um I probably didn't touch base with him thereafter as often as I'd like, and unfortunately, um that ended how that ended. So, you know, sparking those conversations that there's some sort of a a deep seated, uh, you know, tickle for us for us to have rather than just ignoring them, I, I reckon, is so very important. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you overthink stuff and you talk yourself out of it. Ah, oh, no, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's, uh, oh, no, he'll be at work at the moment. Uh, geez, I'm tired. I've had a shit day at work. Oh, I couldn't be. Uh, and you, I, I know I do. I tend to put it off and then three days goes by because you haven't sort of thought about it and then go, oh, geez, I should. Same scenario. Oh, geez, I had a crap day. I'll, I'll ring him tonight. Oh, no, you have dinner. You get oh, no, it's getting a bit late. And you, you kind of make excuses. And I think that's that's where, I, for me, I've just got to just grab the phone and, and make the call. If it doesn't answer, they don't answer. Leave a message. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's probably that thought process for me. I think too much about it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you get so much out of it as well, other than just that we're built for interaction and there's... there's um, Clearly, some sort of a a reward cycle um, to to that in our, in our brains that we feel positive for that social interaction. But um, even if it's just um, the little bit of selfishness of uh, getting to feel like you've been that good maid and potentially realizing that everyone else is dealing with some shit as well, um, it's you know it's incredibly beneficial. Even if you don't feel like you're in a in a super positive or amped up place at the time yourself but it certainly makes you feel better at the end of it absolutely all right so 
Braden's Divergence version 37. Let's <laughs> let me look back at my sheet for a second and get into the fun stuff. So, as you know, mate, because you consume the content, um, we we deep end you, but but uh, it's as much uh, much sunlight as it is as it is darkness, I guess. So, um, what's the hardest thing that you'd say you've ever had to be through, go through? Um, hardest. There's probably a few moments in my life that that have been hard, pretty difficult. Um, Probably the first real hard one in my adult life was um, when the twins' mother and I separated. So uh, Jordan and Victoria were they weren't even one. So um, that was that was pretty difficult because uh, all my life I've I didn't really know anybody that um, had separated parents. Um, so I was straight out of high school. I was eighteen and a half. I was yeah. I was a dad before I was 19 um, and then separated before I was 20. Um, and that was difficult because you sort of had that feeling of uh, letting people down, letting the kids down. Um, but, the, but the place that I was in at the time was, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't in a very good place. I wasn't very happy. I wasn't, yeah. Um, so that was, pre- that was difficult because I knew that I'd seen my kids every day of their life up until 25th of January, you know, of you know they they were nine months old, so uh, so that was pretty hard, um, very hard. Um, just a qu- question, uh, if you're comfortable talking about, it, I'm just um, you know not having kids myself. I probably don't delve into it enough when it's when it's um, um, relationship breakdowns and and custody matters and and all that is is probably. Things hugely pivotal to to a lot of people to be drawn to, uh, drawn to this content. So, uh, what was once things were settled and amicable thereafter? What what was like the custody arrangement and how, how often were you getting to see them and and that sort of stuff? Yeah. So, to start with, it was really difficult. It, it was a couple of hours supervised, and you sort of felt like a bit of a criminal actually the way it it sort of all went through. You know, and then you'd have three hours unsupervised and then it got to the point that uh had some overnight stays so as they got older um mostly come down to every uh fortnight so once they got to school things sort of settled down um so picked them up from school on a friday night took them back to school on monday and so and that was every second weekend um and that was yeah that was probably the way it was until they went to high school week of the holidays birthdays uh, for a period of time, Christmas, yeah, so um, things like that. So never enough, but it was what we could get, um, and yeah, and that, that was fine. Once the kids got older and and had mobile phones, it made it much easier to to get access to them. So the twins were born back in '94, so there was really you know they didn't get their mobile, didn't yeah, well you didn't have mobile phones. Um, or the access to them like we do now. So having that communication with them was difficult. Um, you know, whether they were home or not, you using the home phone, whether, you know, there was calls being screened, whether they had the right number, because I know that, that um, the twins' mum moved a, f- a few times and so different numbers and it, yeah, things like that made it a little bit hard. But, um, yeah, we pretty much settled with uh, every second weekend right up until they were... Um, seven i suppose you're eight yeah it's such a, a and i don't know how it improves because it would take such 
intensive supervision and on such a large scale in terms of relationship breakdowns across Australia to to supervise. But it's such a um, uh, Victor Wright's history sort of situation to an extent in, in that um, whoever the kids are, are mainly with, and obviously with our legal system, it's it's very predominantly the the mum, and and not to be you know, sexist or any way, shape, and form. That's just the way it's set up, and and with a infant who needs to feed and everything, um, probably rightly so. But it's it's such a uh, a biased situation, I guess, an, an unmediated situation where whoever has main custody is to some extent perceived to have been in the right, or, and the other. Uh, at fault, um, and obviously, you know, kids model what we, what we do. So, um, if if they're constantly around that perception, even even if it's not, you know, being fed to them in any sort of a negative manner, it's it, it can it must be very challenging to to have a an even relationship when you're relying on the maturity of developing minds. I guess. Yeah, absolutely, and and you can sort of say that with the. Um twins and the, the way they um they went through particularly once they got to that um high school early high school years um and and the way that victoria sort of distanced herself from us um and then jordan and i don't believe it was through his choice but was distanced as well so there was a period of you know maybe three or four years that we didn't have much contact um and that was extremely difficult, and not just for me, but for um, Catherine and for Byron and Michaela, because they all of a sudden didn't have that contact with their brother and sister. And you know, is it my fault that Victoria and Jordan aren't coming to stay on weekends? So that was that was heartbreaking as well. So, but as we've gone through, and 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 particularly with Jordan, we've had more more. Um, contact with Jordan, Victoria and I are, um, we contact each other but we're not super close in that, um, yeah, but I'm sure that will change and the door's always open. We go through phases where we'll see each other a lot and message each other a lot and then we'll have a, a period where it's six, seven, eight months and we don't see each other. So, yeah, so so that, that that's difficult. It has been very difficult um, to grasp and get your head around but... You know, as long as they're happy and healthy. That's that's an interesting perspective, and and that might actually um, lead on to a, a, you know, as close as we can get to an answer to my next question. Because I'm just I'm just thinking, um, my next question is all always. So, what helped you deal with that traumatic period? But we're obviously talking about a period of you know, fifteen to seventeen years of your life where you know a large heartstring, a large aspect of you was was uh, you know challenging and, and not in your control which is always much harder as, as as a male to not be able to in some way confront whatever it is that's weighing us down um but any any positive habits um that you you feel like you adopted during some of those phases of your life um to to deal with that emotion and and keep yourself in a good good space yeah i, I let hatred go i had a real hatred for Oh, I had a real hatred towards um, the twins' mum because I, I felt that a lot of it was driven from that, rightly or wrongly. That was where my headspace was, and hatred consumed me. Um, 
So to let go of that hatred, which is pretty difficult, um, yeah, because it, it, it consumed my thoughts, it, it consumed my day, it, you know, like, yeah, I, I hate, yeah, I, hatred was, was right up there. And it's a strong word and it's, and it's um, yeah, pretty powerful. But to be able to let that go was, um, yeah, was, uh, it was like a release. Once I could could let that hatred go, it was, you know, it is what it is. You know, I can't control it. Um, just got to get on with the next phase. And and mum and dad were a massive one, and Catherine, but mum and dad in particular, with the um, the doors always open. The kids will know that you love them, and you know they'll they'll come back around. Like they will, they will still be in your life. Um, it's just a little blimp, really. Um, might not be here and now, but they'll they'll all be back in your life, um, and yeah, they were right. And that's a hard one as well. I can I can imagine an aspect of that that process that you know freeing yourself of hatred, almost a, a grieving of, of the process. So I guess there'd be you know that that pushback within you that was like, if I make a conscious decision to get back to living life and not let this consume me, then you know, are my twins going to think that I'm less, uh, you know, um, desperate to be in their lives or, or you know, are they going to feel like I've, I've moved on and, and stopped caring if, if I try and find a healthy medium and, 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 and try and be the, the best dad I can when they're wanting me to be? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that was the, um, that was probably the hardest part about it that I was, it's kind of like you've got to let it go and if it comes back to you, then it belongs to you. Probably screwed that saying up, but that along those lines and knowing that, um, yeah, as much as you want to fight and, and go through it, the kids don't deserve to go through the, that um, tug of war. Um, they were looked after. Um, their mum always had a house for them. They had roof over their heads they were fed they were educated they were clothed it's it's not like they were being abused so you know so that made it easier knowing that they were they were cared for um but yeah you the toll on the the pull and push of of having that sort of um it wasn't a custody battle because we sort of agreed on it fairly early but just not having that that contact with them that that i'd um that you probably want to have with your children um, that was pretty difficult, but you know, sometimes you just got to step back a little bit and and take a big deep breath and um, focus the energies on other things. And I still, have, you know, two wonderful kids at home as well. So does all my energy go into two, and I leave two behind, or do you try and find that that balance? And I think we eventually found that that balance, and you know, have a good relationship with all of them. Yeah, fantastic. I think. Um retrospectively probably went at this uh, in reverse. Uh, you've kind of probably already alluded to it, but um, at the times when you weren't dealing with it well, uh, and obviously, you know, you, you're a young male and you're going through a relationship breakup, so it's, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of obvious factors in, in play, but uh, any, any habits that you didn't find helpful or anything you indulged in that prolonged... The, the discomfort or made things worse of some of those real troubling times? Nah, not really. I, I didn't drink 
didn't do drugs. I didn't sort of do anything, develop anything like that. Um, like I said, just that consumption. It was more of a mind thing. Um, it was more in my head, that sort of stuff that, that really, really got me. Sometimes, you, you know, it's the same, and I suppose we'll talk about it a little bit later with, with the depression and, and having those dark feelings that, you, you know, sometimes you lock yourself up and you listen to sad music or watch a shitty movie or what, you know, you have that and that sort of prolongs it um, and compounds your, your thought processes makes you feel in you know dark bedroom you know then you start feeling a bit angry about it and it compounds because you have those thoughts and they just keep breeding and um but yeah i didn't really i didn't really dive into anything that that um that affected me i suppose in outside i just threw myself into sport particularly early uh, when when we separated i just dived right into playing basketball and playing for the sale sonics and um really working my backside off to to yeah I just threw myself into basketball and that physically I you know you dive on loose balls you know I probably I channeled all my energy into that so you know yeah so that's probably another positive absolutely r- really positive positive coping mechanism but it's um you know reading into something you said there um and and not to discount it I, I feel like I certainly have at times in in my life when things haven't gone my way or whatever it may be, where I've let myself down probably half the time. Um, but I feel like anger is as much of an intoxicant for many men as, as any of the things you, you mentioned that, that you didn't turn to and that, and that I haven't turned to. You know, I, I'm, I'm the same. I, I never drunk much. This will, I've had two more ciders now than I had had in about three months. Um, and and I, I never went down the drug path. But there was definitely times when I... Um, enabled my consumption of anger, I guess, uh, and, and you know, there's a some sort of a positive loop cycle to that where you you get something out of being that worked up as as a guy. But I'm you know pretty certain it's entirely unhealthy. Yeah, I oh, know. Oh there's times when I've played basketball, I've crossed the line physically, um, and I, and I suppose it's that release of of anger and aggression and. And um, yeah, I'm not proud of some of the things that I that I did um, in that sense. Not that it was horrific, but um, certainly outside of the rules. But you, um, but I certainly threw myself into to being aggressive and playing hard and and physically throwing myself around, running, being you know like the physical exertion. I think was a great release. So during that period of time. What weight would have you played CBL or whatever it was then? That oh, eighty-five kilos, eighty-five and six-four. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, not a small unit that you were throwing around. Nah, nah. <laughs> but nah, I was oh, for around here. It wasn't too bad. But you go down, go down to Melbourne. And I remember playing one day and uh, yeah, stood in the foul. You know, there's foul shots and stood in the, the line up and. One bloke beside me, six foot eleven, weighs hundred and thirty kilos. Another guy, seven foot one, and, and weighs around one hundred and ten. And you're standing in the middle of them, going, "Oh my goodness!" So I'm not really that big, but because I had that bit of shit about me, I suppose I'd, I'd you, you'd fight and battle and scrap. So, flipping the emotional spectrum as, as we love to, Dan. Mm-hmm. So, best moment of your life? What would you identify there? Ooh, lots of. 
lots of best moments. Um, seeing all my children born, I was there for, for all four. Um, so Jordan and Victoria were born 12 weeks premature. Um, and fortunately, at the time, we were living in Melbourne. They were born in Frankston and they spent um, a prolonged period of time at uh, Monash Medical in uh, Clayton. So seeing them born and actually watching Jordan take his first breath because he didn't actually come out breathing. So they watched the doctors work on him and, and take his breath and, and therefore um, when Byron and Michaela were born also. Um, I've coached all four of my children in basketball in under 10s, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm not a great junior coach of little ones, um, but I've coached all four of them in under 10s and it was pretty awesome. Um, again... None of my children were superstars as as um, as youngsters. Um, they worked hard, but they weren't the best players at all. But to uh, be out on the court with them and share a little bit of knowledge and and uh, have that interaction was pretty cool. You know, as that seven year olds. So yeah, so that's pretty pretty awesome moment. Um, look, I've played in football premierships and and coached them and. Um, they're pretty wild times. Um, basketball championships are pretty cool. Um, and getting married to Catherine, probably right up there as well. Glad you fucking remembered that one. That's <laughs> still last. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be running out of bedrooms here soon with how many guys <laughs> neglect to have some sort of a my girlfriend was the greatest moment of my life or my wife was. Is that what all the cars are outside? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was some social distance kickboxing. I think was. Was the vehicles when you rocked up. <laughs> um, so moving from, I guess, what life has brought to your door and, and, and moving on to the stuff from, from what you've taken to life, what do you think is, is a moment, if you can identify one, where you haven't met your mark? What, what were you most embarrassed by, what you've been able to put out there in your journey? Uh, we, um, we moved to Darwin or tried to move to Darwin. About uh, seven years ago, yeah, it would have been seven years ago. So I got a job up there, and it was all sort of set up. And anyway, the job fell through, and then uh, coming home, driving from Darwin, we drove from Darwin to Alice Springs, and it pretty much cried the whole way home because um, it was a pretty big decision to move up there in the first place. Coming home wasn't the decision to come home wasn't a difficult one, but actually coming home was. And I came out because we'd said all our goodbyes to all our friends and we had um, drinks at the Greyhounds and you know, had a, heaps of people turn up and had some fantastic messages and well wishes and it, it was felt embarrassing coming home. Didn't have a job. I was, yeah, made the big big move and didn't come through and, and, and I felt embarrassed coming home and that was, that was so difficult to, to deal with. Um, only for me, uh, like for me, like my friends and family were, were fantastic and understood why we had to come home. But uh, yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing to think that yeah, I'm gonna do this, and then three days later, <laughs> in a car coming back home. To be to be fair, um, and and obviously I understood more about that emotional process for you as, as you continued through the story, but. But, um, you know, that's, for, for me, not something that you should 
I know it's embarrassing, but I don't, I don't feel like you should be embarrassed by it per se. Like it feels like more something that happened to you than, than you letting yourself or anyone in your life down. Yeah, I, now I can look back on it with a lot more clarity. Um, and that was probably, looking back, uh, that was probably around that time that I was going through a really dark, dark stage. So that was... Um, yeah, that that sort of made it made it um, sort of difficult for me to to process because all my life I've always had a job, so all of a sudden I've tossed one in, or not tossed one in, but it didn't work out and was on my way home without a job. What am I going to do? This is you know I'm a father of four. I've got you know just everything that plays through your mind. And like I said, uh, from Darwin to Alice Springs, I cried. You know I think. One hour drive, about that ten hours, and yeah, and I felt embarrassed. But like I said, looking back on it now, it's I, I'm not embarrassed because I, 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 um, yeah, it was all for the right reasons and and had a fantastic support network when we got here. Um, but yeah, at the time, it certainly had that embarrassing feeling about it. I'm not sure if I, um, had told you, but uh. On, on a far more condensed version, I went through something very similar last year with the with the job I took in in Orbos. Now, obviously, I hadn't had any huge rigmarole or celebration around the moving away, um, and and hadn't changed living circumstances per se. Um, but bit of a coming home with tail between legs, and and uh, you know, even though I'm in entirely comfortable with how that all panned out. Um, not even particularly angry about it any, a, anymore. Uh, I certainly understand the uh, the embarrassment of, of that, I guess. Um, and and without, without overgoing into mine or, or without knowing too much of, about yours, it was it was definitely something I'd I'd built up as as um, my big chance to stand on my own feet to an extent. Uh, in, a, in a leadership role and and um, sort of got uh, snipered by circumstances out of out of my control and, and uh, um, again a, a very uh, micro version of, of what was a, a major and extended event for you but um, I feel like in, in a far more condensed version I went through a very similar process and it was certainly a hard drive home yeah absolutely and again looking back at it with with clear eyes you um you can sort of see that you know everything happens for a reason, and and things have worked out fantastically well. But at the time, it feels like it's the end of the world. No, definitely, definitely. Um, back to the back to the positive, uplifting stuff, mate. What would you identify as as where you've most exceeded your own expectations? What What are you proudest in terms of what you've put out there into the world? Um, I. Th- my relationship with Catherine, I think, is something that I'm probably most proudest and, and put out there. We've we've been together for twenty two years, twenty three years, um, yeah, and I have. Oh, actually, we, we've been nearly married twenty two years, but we've been together for about twenty five years. So, to to be together to go through for her to take on. Uh, someone with the baggage of, of two children and a and a um, a broken down relationship, um, 
and the way that we just enjoy each other's company. It's not a shame to walk down the street and hold her hand and um, not afraid to, to say that I love her and, and in public and, and she's my greatest supporter. Um, and for us to be at home and, and we like each other, you know, it's for the kids to see that their parents have, have got a, a loving relationship, I think that's super important. Um, and it's not put on, it's not portrayed. We'll sit there, watch TV, hold hands. It's not, it's not an unusual thing, but for us to have that uh, relationship that we've got, I, I feel that that's probably right up there. Other than, you know, just your huge genuine compatibility, do you think um, an aspect of that strength has is, is, uh, grown from that kind of birth in the fire, so to speak? Like ha- having having at various stages and particularly early on had to be a little bit you two against the world in certain aspects. Um, do you think that's made you that grow that much closer across the journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've, as a... As a couple, have gone through um, plenty of things, and and to have uh, the children, um, we didn't have full time jobs. Neither of us had full time jobs early in the piece, so we've worked our backsides off to um, you know to be able to buy our home and and um, be able to to look after our our children, but you know making sure that there's always food on the table and the roof over their head and, and always clothes there for them and to give them the opportunities to do their sport, music, you know, whatever needs to be done. We've, we've, we've gone through all the ups and all the downs, but through the whole thing we've done it together. Something that struck home for, for me among that, all of that resonates with me, but something that struck home for me further to what I was saying earlier is, is I think, um, you know, as a couple that has come from an – inconsistent financial position to to growing into stability together i think that's another another factor that really really brings you together that you know classic wedding vow richer or poorer or whatever it may be (laughs) um i I think uh that adds a validity maybe to your relationship that it's not just good times that that you're there for each other and and can get through yeah absolutely we 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 scrapped you know you, you go through those periods of time where it's got to prioritize what you're spending your money on and you know i know and not that i'm a big drinker but we'd go through as i could buy a six pack every month that was it that's all we could afford you know it was it wasn't anything that you could you know we we made sure we ate plenty of rice lots of bread (laughs) did all those uh those sorts of things which everyone goes through but definitely we we went through it together and and yeah we hard now and look our position in life now is fantastic we're both working both got full-time jobs we you know enjoy our, all our children are grown up it's um yeah we're in a fantastic spot so but yeah you, you're totally right we we worked hard together right throughout and um yeah we we haven't um we haven't deviated too much off the away from each other love it um who's your hero daniel I've got three, mum and dad. Um, they brought my brother and I up and the values that they gave us were, were sensational. Work hard. You don't get anything for nothing. 
um, they gave us um, a good understanding of right from wrong. Um, you know, don't lie, don't cheat. You know, tell the truth. Uh, good work ethic. So, and they, and they were always there, and still are always there for me and for my brother and and for my kids. And um, so, yeah, mum and dad definitely, um, and Catherine, and. Catherine, not just for the fact that she's my wife, but to see what she went to university uh, as a 30-year-old, as a mature age, to do a school teaching degree. She always wanted to be a school teacher, didn't quite get the marks that she needed when she finished year 12. Um, but she's always passionate about teaching. She was an integration aide. We had our children. Um, and then she went and studied. You know, and this was before you could submit stuff through the internet and that. So she did her teaching degree through um, University of Tasmania. So she went down and did summer school, did her assignments online, oh, you know, by correspondence, bringing up two little kids so that the kids would have been, well, Byron and Michaela were, were probably four or five, six years old during that period of time. So to manage a house manage your husband, do a teaching degree, um, you know, that's in my, my eyes pretty um, – she's, she's certainly uh, a hero in, in that sense. She had a dream. She chased it. It took her a, a bit longer than what she thought and now she's got a full-time teaching. She's a, a year-level coordinator at Catholic College, Sale, and, and, um, and she has a real passion for teaching and, and anyone that can chase a career – and a goal, and go through all the obstacles to get there. You know, I think that's pretty heroic. I, um, on top of everything else you said that she was juggling during that time, I, I have a hell of a lot of admiration for people that mature age study because it's just um, you know, such an upheaval of lifestyle, obviously driven by, by a passion for whatever it is they're heading towards. But, I mean, you're nearly always going to be going back in your earning potential, at least in the short term. You're obviously incurring the debt of the course itself. Um, you're going back to having to meet someone's expectations and timelines that you mightn't be, you know, particularly adherent to or necessarily needing to be adherent to in your day to day life. Um, I just think it's you know such a remarkable conviction, maybe to to take on those expectations and, and weight and financial burden as a mature adult who could just keep ticking along if they wanted to. Yeah, it's so true. But um, that passion and that drive that she, she's got and, and had for to, to, get that, um, to get that degree. And, uh, you know, we'd go down to Melbourne, plonk her on an aeroplane, send her down to Tassie. She'd spend two weeks of her summer down there to, uh, to get the degree done um, a little bit quicker because that was... But the, the sacrifices that she made was was unreal, and um, yeah, it's it's a credit to her. Obviously, um, you know, it's usually, but certainly not exclusively, been uh, strong masculine role models that most of the the younger guys I've I've interviewed have identified in in that role, and and you've identified, um, particularly given the generation your parents are from you know, three incredibly different characters and, and roles in, in your lives. So any any common values or attributes of those that you've particularly drawn on and tried to replicate for you? Uh, I think the work ethic, 
when you do something, do it properly. Um, do it to the best of your ability. Don't half-ass it. You know, if it's there to be done, do it. Um, and mum and dad were, were like that all the way through with us. You know, they're always stressed upon us. Um, and, yeah, and like I said, and, and to see Catherine go through through her university degree and, and the way that she's... Um, and the way she works, um, it's certainly not um, something that's done half-hearted. Um, so, so those sorts of things to, to do things, dot the I's, cross the T's, make sure it's done properly, do it right the first time, do it with pride. From how you've outlined that, I guess that's the answer, but if not, um, what would you attribute as, as your most admirable quality now? Oh... Um, most admirable quality. Oh, I think I'm pretty loyal. I, I'm loyal. I'm a loyal person, and and um, yeah, when you've got me, um, whether it's for work or for sport or for family or relationship, it's you've got all of me. Uh, totally, um, I'm in a hundred percent. It's probably back to the do things right and do it properly. Um, but yeah. If we're uh, if we're friends, it's it's not just a wishy washy thing. It's um, I'm friends. We're friends, and um, and have that relationship. Um, when I coach football or play football, it's you train twice a week. If you can't make it, you ring someone, let them know, make sure you know that those sorts of things. But it's always you do it and do it to a hundred percent. Um, something I'm. Find interesting about the question I'm about to ask, and and I think your your answer will you know well and truly satisfy that. But um, y- you've been through a a fuckload, and and you've built yourself into a, you know a really stable position with with a great network around you, particularly your core family. Um, how today? I know it's probably changed across the years, but how today would you describe your relationship with your mental health? Uh, a tug of war. Um. So I, I've been diagnosed with depression. Um, I, I, which was about seven years ago, but you look back and you can certainly see times further back when when there were when I was depressed, dark, um, and I had some I had some real battles. I I didn't want to be around. I had a fantastic family. Oh, I have a fantastic family. A wonderful wife, great kids, mum and dad, my brother. But I just didn't want to be around. Um, so taking that step to go and see the doctor and, and getting a mental health plan and being on medication to to help with that, um, which is um, which has been pretty awesome. Um, also seeing uh, a psych. And have been for the last seven years, and I know when I need a, a tune-up, so to speak. Um, so I've done hypnosis therapy, um, count, you know, general counselling, and, and um, yeah, I, I manage it. I manage it quite well now. Um, you can certainly pick up when when I'm having a, a flat day or a bad day, but I certainly don't have the dark days that I've had and have been through. Because some of those are pretty scary. It's interesting. Um, I don't know if it's 
maybe I'm drawing too thin a thread here, thread here, or, or maybe it is true. But for me, um, something that I probably didn't realize about depression and until I was, um, you know, in a situation to to look at it from self analysis, I guess, in in that, um, you know, I was diagnosed when I just after I'd had a, a major relationship breakdown and and a train wrecked my life in general. So there was a, a huge aspect of that to me that was, um, I thought it was situation specific, shall we say, in, in that I thought my world of symptoms were relative to a situation I'd put myself in and, you know, my my uh, worries me, not worries me, but um, me dealing with the consequences of that um, and, and not particularly wanting to at the time, I, I guess. But um, what I've grown to realise as, as I've got to a, a far better place and then looking back at myself far before that happened, it's it's just those little things like the the random week you'll have that seems uninstigated by anything where it's just really fucking hard to want to get out of bed in the in the mornings sort of thing and and you know depending on how much you're you're winning or not um in in your broader life that week is is uh sort of what level of arsenal you have to overcome it or not but it's still there whether you're winning and whether it's whether whether you've got enough on your side to jump out of bed or or whether it catches you at the at the wrong time, that um, weight, that um, you know, pull to withdraw from from the emotional challenge of day to day life is is kind of you know a, a constantly or at least potentially constantly underlying um, hindrance that I don't think people understand from the outside. No, I agree, and and my biggest question, and I still ask it when I talk to my psych now, is why. I, I struggle to know or, or I understand fully why I had a great upbringing. I wasn't abused. I wasn't, you know, I, we were, we never wanted for anything. Um, yeah, obviously there was a the breakup and, and that with the twins at, at that period of time, but that wasn't a, a prolonged thing. Catherine and I met soon after, you know, fantastic support, got the children. So I still, why, why do I feel so dark? Why do I just cry? Why do I not want to do things? Um, and I understand that, that there's a chemical imbalance, so I take medication to help that out. Um, tips, some triggers that I can recognise now. But I, I, I coach football and basketball, but I coach. I was coaching senior football team, and I would drive out to training, and I'd pull over on the side of the road. And not want to go. I, I don't want to be there. Take a deep breath. Drive in. The, everything's cool. Get it on the go. And it's like a big performance. You, you're upbeat. You're happy. You, you get things done. Get back in the car to drive home. And I'm physically exhausted. Because I just... It was a battle. You know, you, you play... There was like two Daniels. There was the happy Daniel, and then there was the dark one, and and I think that the dark Daniel was the one that I spent more time with, and it was a performance. The rest of it, now my friendships that I developed and and that over the time were genuine. Don't yeah, 
uh, and I still love and care for a lot of people that I met during that period of time. But I I struggled, you know. I'd, I think I come across fairly upbeat and, and um, you know, particularly around the sporting organisations and that, that when I'm coaching and, and it's all in, but I was, yeah, I'd, I didn't want to be there. I'd, I'd go and I'd hop in the shower at game day and I'd spend half an hour in the shower trying to f- figure out a way not to go. But turn up the footy and bang, you're into it and, and away you go. And then, yeah, then afterwards... You'd, Go home. Don't want to go to the social function. I don't want. To. Yeah. So it was. Um, it was a weird period of time. It was dark and 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 I just I didn't like who I was either, and that was pretty difficult to look in the mirror and and sort of see the person looking back that you didn't really like. I think um, you know, I, I suppose this whole whole field is is something that people are growing to understand better and not and not specific to. The men's mental health, just the, the broader field of mental health. That, um, you know, as as a very similar person, I I feel like uh, I always attributed that aspect of me and 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 similar people um, to maybe shyness or introvertedness or, or whatnot, and, and having to put on that mask to go and to go and be that that person that was outside our comfort zone to to the audience or in in the role as a coach or whatever it may be. Um, but you know, I think it's maybe as in, as much as any other influence, understanding what it actually means to be um, introverted and what it doesn't mean. You know, I, I feel like that aspect of people like you and I is is definitely more to do with those depressive symptoms and 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 probably filled more with uh, you know an anxiety re- approach, I, I guess, than than any sort of a personality style per se. Yeah. I know that you can put me in front of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people on a basketball court or a football field and I'll run a training session or run a – or coach or whatever and I have no issues. I'll stand up in front confident. You get that same 50 people in the social rooms upstairs. I don't want to be there. I have real difficulty in that social sense, that, that that ability for, I don't know, small talk or, or having and it's a and then that's when the anxiety kicks in and that's when you, you, you don't want to be around and it, yeah, you, it's a it's a real struggle because these are your friends, they're people you deal with, you have no issues talking to them in some senses, but then as soon as you get into a into a different or a social sense, I have real difficulty with it. That's um and, and have had for, for a period of time. And, and again, you put the mask on and, and you know, you have a couple of beers at, at a social function and it's, um, you know, I'm ready to go. Catherine's been really good with that to be able to recognise that I'm, I'm a bit um, uh, anxious. Are you right? Do you want to go? Do you want to... So uh, those sorts of things. But uh, and I'm much better now than what I ever have been. But, yeah... Having that that two sides where you can yeah put me in front of fifty people and and I know what I'm I know what's going on and I've sort of got a control over it but then put me in an environment where I I haven't got that control I suppose is um yeah I've freaked the fuck out man <laughs> and it's interesting as well you you seem further down that that path in terms of understanding your processes there than I probably am but um it's those situations that many people um, build up or at least 
you know, maybe they're feeling a pressure to build up, but um, those social situations that everyone's kind of excited about that just entirely uncomfortable and even if you convince yourself this is something I'm meant to be excited about this is downtime this is hanging out with friends um getting there and and just uh, you know feeling an entirely like you want to sink into the corner and and ghost it as soon as you can I'm, I totally understand that feeling absolutely and I'm very good at coasting but when I was younger I was the life of the party I first there last to leave enjoy the you know loved it know get on the dance floor run a mark have a good time but yeah and it's again looking back at it's probably the last 10 or or so years but yeah that's that yeah like you said i'll sit in the corner or just sit at the bar small little groups okay people come people go but it's certainly not the that energetic person that i was and then at the end of it feel exhausted because you've you know it's almost like you put on a on a performance to, to work yourself up for it, and and unfortunately, Byron and Michaela and Catherine are probably the ones that have seen the when I go home from work or that that I'm flat as a tack, and you know, then I turn into this zombie, I suppose, or did did turn into that zombie. I think um, one thing it made me think of there. I don't know if it's true for you. It's certainly fucking true for me. Um, crew in hospitality the the times that you've worked in in pubs and and uh, liquor environments probably hasn't fucking helped that any because i i feel like whether it was coincidental or or causal um you know growing up i was certainly happy to party and and then if you spend a certain amount of time working in an environment where people are partying it's it certainly kills the fucking romance of the whole situation <laughs> for you <laughs> you become the most antisocial person you and th- and that was something that Catherine and I went through when I was working at the sports club in Mafra and, and she'd come home, we'd have a night off. If I had a night off, work day shift or whatever, let's go out for dinner. Uh, I don't want to go out for dinner. I want to stay at home. You know, like oh, I'm out. I go out all the time. You sort of got to you got to think of everybody else. It's probably a bit like this. Uh, the current period that we're in at the moment. The, we've got the three, or Byron, Michaela, and um, and Catherine have all been working from home. But my work's essential, so I'm, I'm out. So there's no real change for me. I go out and come home. I, I don't have that, but I get home and the three of them are climbing the walls. They're just wanting to go out. They're itching. Whereas, um, you know, so, yeah, those sorts of things. You sort of become antisocial when you work in a social environment. Absolute perfect segue. So talking about stuff that we kind of, you know, find anxiety-provoking, what's something that you are looking forward to? Um, I just... Uh, this sounds just really cliche, but I'm just looking forward to to life and just enjoying myself. Spend a lot of time being anxious and and worrying about what's coming up and what's around the corner and and uh, worrying about finances and worrying about lo- lots of stuff like all those things. I, I think that mentally I'm in a very good state. Uh, I have a, a good stable job. Kids have grown up, so they're sort of. Uh, I'm just enjoying the now. I'm not coaching sport at all at the moment, um, and maybe I won't ever coach again. Maybe I will. Who knows? But I'm really just enjoying the now. You know, <laughs> maybe a trip coming up. You know, Kathy and I would talk about going away for for a holiday, or um, you know, some renovations at home, or but little things just. 
but it just looking forward to to just living and enjoying life and and not being in a dark hole and being that shitty bugger that I've I've been over the last 15 years. You, you probably took that to to somewhere else than um sparked what I'm about to say in terms of sounded like uh you know there's a lot of contentment to what you you said just there but um something for me this this whole lockdown thing has has kind of um inspired i think and i've and i've heard similar accounts from other people um is just that you know taking a moment to smell the roses maybe like for someone that doesn't have kids i certainly have a lot of hats that i juggle um and probably become aware in the last fortnight that i just don't have a lot of uh urgency um or thought urgency around what comes next per se like whether it's work or um blokes don't talk or my gym or whatever it may be um you know i'm i'm more in the moment recently um and i feel like the forced downtime at home and and the acceptance of not constantly being go 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 busy 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 um is is Hopefully it's something that has some sort of lingerance in, in terms of local culture, maybe, and that we don't quickly just go back to needing to be busy constantly because um, it's it's such a calming feeling to this weekend. I'm not really sure what I'm doing other than I'll probably do a couple of interviews and I want to do some mowing and it's it's a really calming position to be in. Yeah, I, I agree with that, that and... I've I was so busy for so long, so I would coach football during the winter, coach basketball during the summer, or started off play basketball during summer, and then went into coaching and or, or I was playing and coaching at the same time, and we did that for oh, fifteen years, so it was a long time of doing both. Pre seasons would roll into each other. You're organising a football pre season while. We're heading into basketball finals. Then basketball, football finals are coming around. You're preparing for that when basketball pre-season's kicking off. So it was just constantly revolving and working. And I loved it. Like I liked being busy. I really enjoyed it. Um, I missed out on a on a coaching position this year, which I think if it had happened five years ago, it would have destroyed me because I really wanted it. But I didn't get it. So be it. It's all cool. But I've got plenty of time on my hands and I'm actually enjoying... Just chilling out. I like to cook. Gives me a little bit of time to to get in the kitchen. Um, little things like that. That that um, and there's no rush. You don't finish work and then try to fit five jobs in and still go to football training and then get home and spend time with with family and then you know the, the next things. And it was fantastic while we were doing it. But I'm certainly enjoying the the downtime and, and life as it is now. It's cool. This would be a good one. Um, good one. For you specifically, Daniel, because you, you're the first bloke I've had on that it's actually um, half a lifetime ago or slightly more than half a lifetime ago. So what's a piece of advice you'd give to 18-year-old you? Buckle up. She's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's sort of th- actually, I've thought about this question and, and I don't know what I would advise 18-year-old me to do because... I think if I took different paths, I'd be in a different position that I'm in now. And, um, and I've lived a very full life and, and I've had plenty of ups. I've had plenty of downs. I've been through some dark times, but there's certainly been some fantastic bright moments. 
and I think it's just a matter of enjoying it and and I, I think most people have sort of said it you know she's um you get out of it in the end don't stress about it too much and I think I, I'm a I'm a deep thinker I think lots of about stuff and probably overanalyze and overthink and and uh have done particularly when I was younger um so but yeah just buckle up take take it on she's she'll flatten out sooner or later but um yeah I, I, I wouldn't change a thing really um because I am who I am because of what what has happened throughout my life so yeah just buckle up and 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 go along for the ride love it and it's actually um maybe it's you know uh, the changing culture and 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 the philosophies that millennials and gen z have bought in terms of maybe being less materialistic than than was the culture for for your or my generation but it's actually a reasonably consistent answer to to what the other guys have said in that they've been um you know not self-judgmental at all i guess and and fairly accepting of that's the ride we're on yeah that's it and you can't can't change it and you you sort of think about things you know if i didn't meet the the twins mum well then they wouldn't be here so i miss out on the joy of of them if I didn't go down that path, then I probably wouldn't end up in a position where I met Catherine and then we you know, had Byron and Michaela. So, you know, life would have been totally different and, and I love where I'm at. It's cool, it's, you know. Um, but you can't, can't go change it. What was that movie? Sliding Doors. You know, you, I don't want a sliding doors moment, you know. You lose, you lose things, you learn. Um, when you win things, you learn as well. When things go your way, you know, Enjoy it, accept it. Things don't go your way, well, reflect on it, but you can certainly move on. And that's taken me a long time to, to realise and accept that, that, you know, get on with it. Away she goes, it's, it's okay. Accept what's going on. You can be upset, you can still be upset with what happened, but don't let it consume you. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, you know, again, and, and I don't know whether it's... Um, uh, you know, uh, the age orientation of the respect I have for you in, in terms of you, you being, um, I look up to all my friends, but, but um, you know, with uh, who you are and that you are literally just older than me, um, uh, definitely look up to you a hell of a lot and it's probably resulted in me being more candid during this than, than other interviews. But one of the aspects of... Um, me getting my head around uh, when it's my turn to be interviewed, I guess, is uh, that the ridiculous amount of living I did in my 20s, there's, there's questions in, in my format, like what are you you most ashamed of and stuff like that, where where some guys are scratching their head and then that makes me feel really good about the sort of friends <laughs> I have, but where I'm going to have to fucking do some, you know, mental reckoning to work out what's the most appropriate answer or... Or answers and the like, but at the same time, for whatever reason, I've never been particularly money-driven or or materialistic. So whilst there was times that I had, you know, things significantly well sorted out in my in my twenties and and managed to reach a position where they were a- anything but, um, I couldn't possibly have fit more into into that section of my life, and it would feel so disingenuous to 
to feel regret or, you know, want that back or want to have made, you know, a couple of key better financial decisions during that time because the amount of life I got to experience was just fucking insane. Yeah, going through all the doors. I, I uh, listened to the Joe Rogan podcast and the Joe Rogan experience. He had Kevin Hart on the other day and he was talking a similar thing of, of you've gone through those experiences and there were three, you know, for example, if there's three doors in front of you, you should go through door three, but I'll go through door one first and then I'm going to go through door two. I should have just gone straight to door three, but my God, I learned a hell of a lot from going through those first two doors before I got to door three. Hey, and sometimes you're not ready to go to door three, for example. You know, you've got to live and experience stuff. And that's, you know, it's like if you if you went out and played football and you won every game for the season and then you win the premiership and then you did the same the next year and what's the, what are you getting out of it, really? Like it's, there's a battle involved, there's some enjoyment, you've got to, you got to be able to take some knocks and sometimes you enjoy the highs if you've had the lows. You know, getting beaten in a in a grand final and then winning the next year, sometimes that makes that one a little bit more sweeter than, than the easy ride, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. And specific to that um, that podcast, if, if uh, you know, particularly if you're a guy that's ever working out if you're the the right mould maybe to, to do well and, and live your own version of life have a listen to that podcast from the other day you've got a guy that's um been you know inexcusably authentically himself for 10 years and just signed what's speculated to be a comfortably north of a hundred million dollar um contract with spotify to move his his podcast over to them you've you've got a comedian who's probably the hardest working man in in showbiz and is just constantly a thousand miles an hour and, and then they talk about people like dave Chappelle who are just you know basically fucking comedic savants in terms of is literally a genius who um thinks about life at a level that's f- that far beyond most people that he can he can intermittently react uh, interact with life and and still be remarkable and still be successful so um if you've got three hours spare i think it's you know a great little synopsis of of how there's a there's a path to success through being true to yourself whatever yourself is yeah uh, it and the um and the way that they both just talk about life, and like you said, <laughs> they're a million miles an hour, and they flow through so many things. That's, uh, but yeah, definitely worth a listen. I, I think that you, you can pick stuff up, and that's what I enjoy doing listening to those podcasts. I spend plenty of time on the road, and um, and that's that's certainly a go-to podcast along with the Howie Games. Howie Games, good too. Yeah. Um, I probably feel. Not disingenuous, but a bit of imposter syndrome asking this question even to, you know, my my 20-year-old guest, let alone someone who's lived a life and, and is a couple of years my senior. But um, if if you had something in, in mind, mate, a bit of interview the interviewer, what's a what's a, a question or a subtopic around this men's mental health theme that um, you'd either like my hot take on or, or that you'd like to open the floor to discuss? I've been thinking about this one a bit and probably your view on on where we're at no 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 i listened to, to Corey's interview the other day and talking about participation certificates for for kids that are going through you know like ninth place and and whatever and b grade finals and and whatnot do you think we're doing the generation a little bit of a disservice that they don't they don't feel failure 
until they get older. And do you think that that has some effect on their on on mental health when they get older and they're they're actually facing defeat or or facing failure in in whether it be the job or whether it be in sport or at school or something? Because I think sometimes we we tell the kids that oh no, you're doing a great job. Sometimes they're not doing a great job. They're doing a good job, but there's room for improvement. And I think that we pump their tyres up a little bit too much that uh, when their tyre pops, it's it's pretty catastrophic. Do you think that that uh, causes a little bit of the uh, the mental anguish that goes on with with the... Uh, and I'm thinking around the 18 to 25-year-olds of the world. I've been... Um, it's, it's maybe a bit of a law of attraction... Uh, in terms of the timing of, of me having you know someone I respect ask me the question phrased like that. So um, I've always been interested in, in psychology. I'm, I'm very interested in you know I'm a people watcher um, at its at its shallowest and and um, I always to some extent have um, been someone that sees the forest for the trees. So to speak so I enjoy listening to psychologists and engineers and um, other component driven thinkers uh, speak I guess and, and a lot of the I've been consuming a lot a lot of um, uh, you know psychology based literature and podcasts and, and stuff lately um, out of self-interest and also with a mind to being more aware in in this space and and maybe not to be opinionated and certainly not to use this as a platform, but to at least ensure that um, I'm comfortable, I'm not doing any harm in terms of the way I sculpt the conversations. So a lot of what I have by fluke, um, getting to some sort of a point relevant to your question, <laughs> being, been consuming recently is um, uh, studies on uh, IQ, um, intelligence quota and, and, and similar markers, and um, it's relatively dire material most of the credible studies on um the sculptability of iq shall we say in terms of the genuine impact that great teachers good schooling um and the likes has is is incredibly uh, minute compared to genetics unfortunately um what's the relevance is that that's been replicated and replicated and it's an inconvenient truth that that people aren't really talking about so if you look at the way we say sculpture schools so in america and i think it's very similar in australia it's something like 16 people 16 percent of people in america have an iq of 85 or under now the military won't hire you if you have under 80 i believe so 16 percent of their population and if you weigh that up against, you know, 16 people in 100 or if you weigh that up against unemployment statistics that are normally in, in Western civilised countries comfortably under 10%, um, that's a large percent of people that don't have the ability to comfortably process uh, and therefore get f- fulfilment out of relatively simple occupations. Um, yet... 16 in 100 kids are growing up um, and going through the same curriculum as the around 15, 16% of kids that have an IQ of 115 or above because that's PC-friendly to an extent, 
and we don't like to exclude and we want to give everyone the same opportunity. But, you know, your classic, um, if you judge a fish by how it can climb a tree, um, then, then, you know, it's not a true indication of, of someone's worth. So at such an objective level, we're unwilling as a society to confront inconvenient truths, getting back to some sort of a point. You know, we're not willing to have a, a very mature conversation about is there a better way to sculpt schooling per se so that we can have people of similar um, intelligence potentials uh, who will have similar occupation potential, um, learning skills that are going to help them as opposed to putting them in an environment where most people might be right perfect and, and they're going to constantly potentially be frustrated and, and feel like there's something wrong with them because it's not suitable for material for them. And then also, although you can obviously, you know, be accelerated learning and, and whatnot, there's going to be people in there that's just, you know, there's going to be people in there capable of, stu- uh, you know, completing PhD studies who are who are learning what's very basic. So I think that's a, you know, education. That's, that's a pretty fucking huge, huge facet of life to have um, as an overt symptom of, of our broader lack of willingness to confront the harshnesses of life. And I, th- I think we've, we've, in the last um, 150 years specifically, managed to make life so palatable and safe generally. And, um, you know, last 150 or 120 years, thereabouts, we've doubled life expectancy um, between 2003 and I think 2012. Um, they halved overt poverty. UN UN had set a twenty year limit or something that they wanted to do that in, and they did it in eleven or twelve. Um, you know, we're making that we're making life that safe, but a lot of people aren't realizing that life is fairly emotionless and, and harsh and doesn't give a fuck when it wants to. So, if you get far enough into your life without having developed those coping mechanisms, um, and we're saying. Uh, not sure if it was with your young fella. Actually, it might have been when I when I interviewed Carl um, from Blokes Don't Talk, but kids that grow up in the country and get to have pets and get to have farm animals and get to see that life is brutal sometimes, incredibly rewarding as well, but sometimes, you know, there's death and there's injury and there's, there's awkwardness and there's awfulness. If you don't get to see that as a kid at all um, and realise that life's harsh and realise that sometimes you're not going to win and all that shit, geez, it's it's fucking rapid lesson when when life finds you as a as an adult and and uh, you come home and there's your best maiden, your childhood sweetheart, or you know you get the call you're not expecting that someone's been in a car crash, or you get the bad result from the doctor. Um, if you have no previous conditioning or um, authentic awareness that life is brutal, uh, fuck, it's a it's a shock. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that's, that's sort of where I was getting at, that, that sometimes that we don't expose the kids to those sorts of things, that we, we shield them. And, and I think you brought up a, a great example of, of death and, and sickness and, and things like that, that, that um, yeah, and you can shield them from it to an extent, but I still think they'd need to, to see it and face it and... And accept it, and realize that you know it's that that is life. That's part of it, and then and build up a little bit of resilience 
to it because sometimes when they finish high school and they go for their first job and they don't get the job, it's, well, why not? I've always got everything that I've ever wanted before. Why didn't I make the team? I've made every other team before. We're not playing finals. I always play in the finals. But sometimes they finish 12th and they play in the Seagrove finals, but they're still finals. So are we, are we creating you know, so that, that bit of resilience for them when they're younger? To, and I'm not talking about being totally brutal, but at the back end or as they get into adult life, that's when it gets brutal and, and if they haven't had some exposure and created some, um, some resilience and some, some uh, plans about it, it's like a, a sledgehammer. Absolutely. And, and Workplace is a, is a great example. I mean, obviously, um, you know, uh, with HR and IR, the way it is currently to be developed, um, employees are certainly uh, incredibly well looked after. But, um, you know, non-government employees are still working most likely for a company that needs to make profit. And they're still going to be judged on competence as to whether they get that job in the first place or, or the way they're treated once they're doing it. Um, so I- even just the mainly education system focus a- at the moment um, uh, or maybe the nurturing process, shall we say, broader um, yeah, it is, is still misaligned with, with that reality of the, the everyday features of life um, where it's a lot more dog-eat-dog, so to speak. Yeah, too, right. And, and parents have a lot to play in that with teachers can only do what they've they're, they're educated they're trying to educate with the curriculum that they're given and that that and they do the best that they can there but I also think that you know a lot comes back to the the parents and the family group to um to be able to to educate as well like it's not just the six hours or eight hours at school it's the, the education of life that should be yeah which the parents need to to take some responsibility for too because sometimes Mum doesn't think little Johnny, she thinks that he's the best player or the best student or the best uh, musician, where in actual fact he's not. But mum says he is, so little Johnny thinks he is. So, And that makes it difficult when you get to the other end. And you don't have to tell him he's the worst, but you can certainly explain, you know, try and, and filter it through. If you it reminds me of, um, there's a, uh, I'm pretty sure it's, of, of Christian origins, but there's certainly religious heritage. There's a saying that um, the the good mother fails and obviously the roles of fathers and mothers has dramatically changed and, and I'd probably adapt that to that today and, and say that maybe that the, the overprotective or the over-nurturing parent fails, whether it's, um, you know, doing up, buttons for a toddler rather than letting them struggle through the process that might take another three or four minutes to do that do it for themselves and develop that coordination and whatever it may be or uh, not letting the son or daughter lose a sports game by a hundred plus points as a as a preteen or you know post toddler sort of sort of age group um I, d- I don't think we're actually protecting them in, in, in any way we're just uh you know potentially holding them back from developing yeah well, i think we're, sh- we're sheltering um something that I, i've s- <laughs> said at all all my kids 18th was um well, 
that it takes a, a village to raise a child and, and we've been fortunate that our, our village has helped raise our children and, and teach them right from wrong and, you know, given them a knockdown when they need to be knocked down but also been there to pick them up when they needed to be picked up. So I think the village needs to support everybody and and be able to knock people down. <laughs> Knock's the wrong word, isn't it? Um, you know, to, to be able to, to let them fall or fail but certainly be there to to assist them to make them better people in the long run. And I, and and that's where I was heading before that I think that sometimes that we we don't let them fail, we don't let them um, hit a wall or, or we don't let them struggle. So when they actually get to a point in their early 20s that when they are struggling, well what what's this? What what do I do and and unfortunately for for some it's you know, they give up and turn to drugs or alcohol or, or, or worse, they, they take their own lives. So does it come back to, to that sort of stuff that, you know, we, we don't let them struggle struggle with assistance earlier in life? An absolute um, under-a-microscope version or, you know, a condensed version of, of what you've uh, gone through there for me, again, some of the psychological literature that I've been consuming recently particularly around developmental psychology um there's there's a fair body uh of of replicated studies now that indicate that um two to four particularly for outgoing um you know potentially aggressive males is incredibly critical and and you think about you know as as like i said a very condensed version of what you've said there um that terrible twos through to genuine toddler stage um that's when that style of kid um is getting to be out and and interact with as many as kids as possible and see the the negative implications of acting acting like that and and have those rough edges um sanded off to an extent by by that interaction and and getting to learn empathy and and um you know sit in the awkward emotion of having having hurt someone and seeing the way they react and, and the likes. And, and transversely, um, you know, those are the kids that are, you know, quickly diagnosed with, with, with something when they're of that boisterous nature or, um, or the parents, um, you know, withdraw them from as much social interaction and, and team-orientated things as, as possible um, if through nothing else than to avoid the awkwardness of them potentially hurting another kid, um, there's a real high chance that kid is going to grow up to be, uh, you know, uh, have an unhealthy level of masculinity and be violent. There's there's a ridiculous amount of study towards that and, and um, you know, a large percentage of um, males that end up incarcerated are, are obviously, um, you know, they are the peripheral, they're, they're at the extreme of... Um, aggressive males to start with and, and developmentally it seems to be a fairly common potential cause that um, they can have been mishandled in, in in that phase of going from being a, literally going from being a, a toddler to a to a small human I guess um that's everything man that's that's been <laughs> bliss uh, just looking down at the clock and um 
probably the first time I've actually been conscious of it. And I'm surprised it kind of hasn't been longer because I've been enjoying soaking up your story so much. Um, so, you know, the the episodes we've done to date that have been very similar times uh, to this, for some reason, an hour 50 seems to be uh, how long these conversations go for. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. There's just a... They are all between 47 and 53 minutes or they are all very, very close to an hour 50. So um, obviously the, the question template helps with that. <laughs> but, but um, I've, you know, I haven't looked at the clock. I've felt entirely um, unpushed by anything ap- apart from soaking up your story. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and just before I go, I, I think that there's something that, that Jordan said last week or, or the other week. Or, um, it's okay not to be okay. And that's cool to remember for everybody. It is okay not to be okay sometimes, but it's also okay to be okay. Sometimes when you're depressed and you're down and you're flat and you're feeling good, enjoy it. It's okay to be okay because sometimes you feel like you're uh, not being uh, true to yourself if you're in that depressed state or in that dark place. But if you're okay, feel okay and it's okay to be okay. But then also... Remember that if you're not feeling all right, don't let it consume you and it's okay not to be okay. Sometimes you've, uh, you just let it go for a short period of time but also enjoy yourself. Um, so very true. And I'm not going to say anything about that because I'd really just be speaking for the sake of speaking. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't phrase it any better than that, Daniel. So thank you so much, man, and, um, and we'll leave it at that. Fantastic. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Blokes, thanks again for tuning in. Really hope you got something out of that. Start having those conversations with your mates, with your family, with a mental health professional if you need to. There's absolutely no shame in it. If you want to reach out to us or follow along, we're on Facebook or Instagram under Blokes Don't Talk. Uh, And to listen, we're available on all your good podcast platforms. Share it with a mate. Even if you're not quite sure, worst he can do is tell you he's not that interested might come back to you in a month or two and and have really got something out of it. Thanks again. Talk next week.